0: Sponsored by the Dun Laoghaire Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Yes, folks, and it's another week here at Dublin South FM. And as you know, every week we bring you business leaders, mentors, consultants and the true leaders of our country. The people that keep us afloat. No, not the government. The small business and medium-sized business owners. And today I have Paul Jacobs. Paul is the founder of Clear Closets Under the Stair Storage, which you probably had seen him on the den many, many years ago. And also he's now involved in remote hub working for companies that want to have that working space at home, but able to escape to somewhere where they're not disturbed and be able to get their work done on a daily basis as well. I want to talk to him today about innovation, improvement, leadership, and decision-making. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for this. Yes. A lot of people say you're, you're a go-getter. You never stop. Always creative, always moving, and helping to motivate your staff as well. When we were doing a little bit of research about you, you got the thumbs up that you're a good guy all round.
1: You must have asked a small audience that question. You know, I'd say there's, there's varied answers to, to, to that, but um, uh, I, I, I suppose my background is that I'm an engineer, uh, and I think one of the founding lines. My wife is an engineer as well, um, and I think one of the lines that I've I've pulled from her over the years is that. You know, the job of every engineer is to every problem, there is a solution. The job of the engineer is to find it. So I suppose in a lot of the things that I do on a day to day basis, that's the way I kind of view things is that, you know, every problem effectively is an opportunity if you can find a solution to it. And our job, my job in smart storage, in Clever Closet, in Wicklow Hub is to identify the problems and then go about finding a solution that will work to fix them um, and work that way. So I generally kind of approach it that way, which I suppose means that uh, innovation gets thrown up out of it because you have to find solutions to problems. And uh, and it's a bit I love about it. It's a really bit I really enjoy about it.
0: Yeah, my sister was an engineer um, and she, you know, a great mentor for me as well. And she would always mention, you know, always move forward, make that decision. You know, if that decision is wrong, at least you've made the decision and you can change it. But if you don't make a decision, you're stuck where you are.
1: Well, again, I would say, you know, the only thing worse than a bad decision is no decision. And so, you know, you need to make decisions on things. Um, You need to put some thought into it, but you need to make a decision. And when we flounder and sit on the fence, and can't make a decision when we end up with this doldrum effect of where things don't really go anywhere
0: well that okay I'll ask you a question when you're making a decision what is the process that you go through to know where go from point a to point b
1: okay um when I'm trying to work out a uh, decision on something the first thing I actually work with is uh, um and it's it's not like done in a there's not like a flow chart that i have that i work at, but these are kind of the steps i go to the first thing is that like what's the objective we're trying to achieve what's what are we trying to do here what what's the reason we're we're doing this activity what's the what's the objective um and then once we've identified what we're actually trying to do because sometimes sometimes you can you can be you can be thrown problems and they're problems that aren't really problems but they're problems that people are discussing And so it's a case of a look, Okay, so what are we trying to achieve here? Um, And then once you identify what you're trying to achieve, then you can kind of work out then about the process involved of of what's involved with it. And then you kind of have a look at, okay, what's going to be the impact if we do this? So if we if we make this change on the business, what's going to like, what's how bad can it get and how good can it get? And kind of have a look at that little bit of a process. Now, sometimes those processes, they take five minutes to work out. Sometimes they take weeks, uh, months to work out on on big problem areas that you begin to kind of say, look, what exactly are we trying to do? So if I give you an example is when I started smart storage first, um, we were doing our understair storage systems as a effectively a bespoke piece of furniture. Okay, and. I'm my background is an engineer. I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a, a a cabinet maker. That's not my background. I ended up designing the first unit to go into my own house because I had this hole underneath the stairs that I was crawling into to try and pull stuff out of, and I decided to actually design something that would work into the space, and we started from there, and it was a bespoke model, but bespoke businesses are very, very hard to grow because it's down to a very the cost base is quite high. um the it's a particular skill set. I would think in a lot of bespoke aspects of work, that's more craft, it's more art. there's more of a love of creating pieces of say furniture or stuff like that 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 would be there. And because I didn't have that skill set, I suppose I began to look at it from the engineering perspective is, um, how can I make this unit fit into the most of, most amount of houses? What's my objective? I want to try and get this unit to fit into every single semi-detached house in Ireland and the UK. And then it was a case of okay, um, what's the problems? Like what are the um, what are the obstacles to that? And you kind of look and you say, well, okay, so this everyone thinks every staircase is different, and they are different. However, the variance of change in them is quite uh, minimal. And we identified what the variant and change was. And then we went about designing a unit to accommodate all of that variance and change. And then we went and went about a manufacturing process. So, you know, the first thing was, is that we identified what was the objective, what we wanted to do, how we were gonna go about
0: it, and then delivering a product. Just on that there, your research before you went into the manufacture, you know, did you get in touch with, was it local enterprise office that gave you the visibility study to go out and do that research? How did you conduct that research to the point that you knew, holy God, we've, got, we've really got something here?
1: Um, a lot of it started with, uh, when I started smart storage first, I was the person who did all of the call outs to every house. So if, if Joe rang in and said he was interested in getting one of our units fitted in, I said to you, look, I'll be out to you at two o'clock tomorrow and I drop out to your house. And when I walk into the hallway, what I realized is that I kind of knew that what your hallway looked like before I walked into it, because most semi-detached houses actually are pretty much the exact same. You walk in the front door and either the staircase is on your right or the staircase is on your left um if it's built in a particular era it's probably got a downstairs toilet underneath the stairs which leaves a small wedge of space left over it's probably a straight flight of stairs that runs straight up and that's the majority of houses that are out in the market um and so what we kind of realize is that we are calling out but we already know this information so what's the bits that we need to know more about and so i kind of then went about refining that element. And uh, we turned into like the staircase geek of, we knew stuff about staircases that people should never really need to know in their life. Yeah, a bit we like stamp kind of collecting. That. Yeah, <laughs> I always remember, um, was it Norm in Cheers, uh, was the guy that would sit at the bar in Cheers and tell you that like, uh, he had amazing facts about the US Postal Service that he thought was interesting and no one else did. But like, I was kind of at the same
0: with staircases. I, it, it's funny when my daughters ask me questions, I get go into this large, big explanation and they say to their mom, mom, he's doing it again. I just want a yes or no answer. I wander <laughs> off into all the reasons why, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. But I remember after we,
1: after we figured out the, what we want to do with the unit, I actually built a template of the unit that I wanted to, and I had a small Renault McGann van at the time. And I used, chucked the unit in the back of the van, and I was going around to factories around the country um, because I didn't know how I was going to make it yet. Um, and, what the, you know, and I looked at sort of some metal studding type of uh, structure and so on that I would make it out of. So I looked at different stuff and I went to factories with this template in the back of it and said, listen, I have an idea to build a modular understair storage unit that will fit under every staircase. And here's the variances that we need to be able to accommodate. And here's a template of what I'm looking at doing. And to be honest with you, Joe, most people threw me out and said, it's nuts. I don't think you can do that. There's too many variances. There's too many of this, there's too many of that. And we decide, and off I go again. And eventually um, I found a guy who didn't throw me out down in Carrick on shore. And um, we still work with that same factory 10 years on now. And, we have a fantastic relationship and between the two of us we employ nearly 100 people now across ireland and the uk manufacturing supplying and installing our understair storage systems
0: it's a great story. Um, one of the things that listening to you as well is it's really that entrepreneurial mindset, you know, and you know, the difference between an entrepreneurial mindset and that managerial skill set is the entrepreneur will go out and probably just about risk everything because they have the passion and drive within and the belief of what's going to happen. And and as we go through that meandering of business, we then start to look at the managerial skill set about okay, how do we develop our systems and processes? Looking at what you've done over the last decade and then sort of taking that and looking at the, the new venture that you have, which if correct me if I'm wrong, just was create was it just created before COVID or was it in the middle of COVID? And that was the remote office working space.
1: Yeah, so um, I suppose um, COVID hit in March 2020 and uh, like everybody else, we we sent all of our staff home and um, we were one of the fortunate companies that, albeit that we were shut down for a period of time, we got back up and working. Um, in one of the first tranches of of the reopening. So I think by around the start of June 2020, our doors were back open and we were working again. We were also fortunate in that a um, we managed to all of our staff, we maintained all of our staff. We kept all of them uh, going at the time and we had um, we had an influx of orders from people because you know, people weren't going to restaurants. weren't going on holidays. That side of the business, uh, that side of the economy, slowed down. The home improvement side picked up, and we had a huge amount of people putting in inquiries. So by the time we got back to fitting, our our um, our pipeline had developed quite strongly, and we had uh, we had a lot of work. But what we also found is that our staff were working exceptionally well from home. They were really happy working from home and working remotely, and so we kind of decided that well, they like it; it works for the business. Um, Everybody's kind of happy with it. That why then would we begin to drag them back into the office to do things that they're actually well capable of doing remotely? So we had two floors in our office complex here in Newtown Mount Kennedy, and what we did was we then separated the floors out during. Um, the summer of 2020. And in September 2020, we started Wicklow Hub on one of the floors as a remote uh, working environment and uh, co-working space. And so that started and then we maintained the, the second floor for the Smart Storage Clever Closet businesses, of which now we have Some staff come into the office on some days, Um, mostly they work remotely, and then we bring them together for say meetings, some they do by Zoom meeting, some meetings now we do back in-house face-to-face to to just get the teams gelling again. Um, And then we've started, because that has, uh, it freed up the space, um, I decided then that co-working space, that we'd give that a go and see how that would work, because I really feel that the future of remote working is not working from home. It's remote working in your community so that the employees can get their homes back and get their house back to like my wife still works from home, uh, w- works from our front, our front sitting room um she comes up to the hub sometimes but it's nearly now got ingrained into her that she kind of works from um and she works as an engineer separately for another company so she is um so she's working away there but like we want to get our sitting room back we want to get our house back and therefore but she doesn't want to return like so many other people she doesn't want to return to the one and a half hour commute so She's going to use Wicklow Hope. We're going to we're going to use the space up here. And it makes sense, is that to work in your community as opposed to working in your home?
0: Yeah, I would agree. Like there's a lot of people who were working at home. And you know, we we all look at our own situations. Like I'm grand here because I have my own office in and there's where we do the communication and the interviews and the house is separate to it so but there's other people out there who are working remotely and have in their bedrooms or they're working in a kitchen or they're and they're not really feel too comfortable so yes I do agree that remote working will be a balance between working at a location in the community and going into the office but a lot of people as well and it seems to be more men want to get back into the office and women want to stay at home as well have have you noticed that yourself?
1: I, I did at the start, but I have to say I'm now finding a lot more people contacting Wicklow Hub, and the narrative is becoming ver- uh, very, very similar. Which is that um, it's fantastic. I I don't want to go back into the office. Um, however, I need to get out of the house. I need to get the home back. I need to get the space back. I'm not able to switch off. Um, I just need to separate home from work um, and, and therefore, but most people kind of don't want to bring up the conversation at the moment with their employer because they're kind of saying, they're worried that if I bring it up with the employer, is the employer's line going to be, well, there's an office here in um, uh, financial in, in Dublin too and I'm going to put you back on that two hour commute back, back into town. So people are trying to keep their head below the radar on it and work from home where in fact, actually, the reality is that work in the community, um, do the, you know, you get to arrive into a workplace five minutes from your house. You get to do your day's work. You get to have a little social interaction with people around you. You close up your laptop at 5.30 in the evening, and off you go home, and you work, and uh, you get your house back. And most people, what they're doing is that they're mixing it up. They're doing random days. So... You know, uh, Friday would be a particularly quiet day here because people probably decide that actually I'm going to work from the house on Friday because they might knock off at four o'clock or what I'm just going to do Friday. And so they're picking random days that they'll just drop in. And now they're mixing it up with some remote and some
0: home working. Sponsored by the Dunleary Rattown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye on Dublin South FM. Do you know what I've noticed as well? Like I hate commuting. Like as you know, both of us are living in Wicklow, and you know I've got to the stage if there's three cars in front of me now, I I get a little bit of a twitch because I you know living in rural Ireland, Ireland has helped. You said one thing as well, and the beauty of a, a community-based hub is that's socializing with other people as well. So you can get trapped working in an office at home and coming isolated and not seeing anyone apart from Zoom. And I don't think that's good for for anybody either. So with, with people and with traveling, what about the likes of... Businesses in Dublin that really need rest, you know, like restaurants and bars that need a full working force in Dublin. Do you think they're going to have to adapt and adjust as well? I think, I think the cityscape is going to begin to adapt over.
1: I, I, so, I, I over the last, I suppose, two years, I've kind of thought about this uh, a lot. And one of the things that has struck me with COVID is that. Um, it's one of those moments in time that you can actually nearly mark as being a, sub, uh, a massive shift in how working life worked. And so if we take, for example, uh, up until the Industrial Revolution, uh, which is, I don't know, what's that in the 1750s or something around that sort of time. So long, long time ago. So you got the Industrial Revolution. Before that, the Cooper, the, the, the shoemaker, the dressmaker, everything, they worked in a little shop underneath their house and they lived above the house and they worked in a little shop. And then the Industrial Revolution came along and that was the change point of where we moved to where all everybody who works travels or commutes to one location to do work between particular hours and travels home afterwards. And that was the start of our commute journey way back at that point of where we moved from the little cobbler shop and cooper uh, blacksmith sort of setup to f- large factories of where everybody came to work and then left. And March 2020 was the change point in that again of when actually we kind of decided that we sent everybody home and said now work from home from here. And now we're two years on from that, and what we're finding is that actually the world didn't fall apart. Industry was able to adapt to this new setup, and that it kind of doesn't make sense to go back to that old setup um, that there is now a way forward. But the way forward is probably not to work in the house anymore either. So it's, it's that mixture, that hybrid element, I suppose, is probably the future, is the next step in there. So I think that, you know, March 2020, I think, marked a fundamental change in how um, the world works. And we changed our work pattern like we did 250 years before that. Um, and now it's a case of that will have repercussions um, and how businesses and, and will, will adapt. I think that will be seen out once we know exactly what the new norm will become, because I don't think we have the new norm yet. I don't think people really know what to do, um, but we will have the new norm.
0: Yeah, that's like industry always finds its feet. Um, Uncertainty has always been around us. We're just for some reason, we're hyper focused at the moment of the uncertainty in the world. But, you know, you and me will will know the Gulf War and we'll know, you know, the Falkland Wars. And a lot of people will probably, you know, have to look at their history books for, for when that happened. But I can remember when my parents used to have to queue up for petrol you know in the 70s like there's always been something that causes uncertainty but it's the innovation and the strategic thinking and it's the entrepreneur that doesn't get pulled into that and has laser focus to going this is what we're going to do as an organization as a community as a team so we can get through it would you would you agree with that
1: oh yeah look you know Change is good. It, it it causes It causes disruption and it causes problems for for people. Um, but generally, it's it's how we progress and and how we develop. Uh, personally, myself, I ran a construction company from two thousand and two right up until two thousand and ten, and I had to shut it down after the construction collapse, and I had to wind up my business and it was horrible it was a horrible thing to have to do let people go sell off all of your plant and assets that you had to ship it all on to shut the doors down on something that you worked really hard on developing um however out of that i developed smart storage and my business today is much better than the business i closed in 2010 Um, I ran it I've run this business better than I ran the last business Um, I've learned the lessons from from the past but that doesn't mean that 2010 was easy it was horrible it was really hard to close that down the fear that I had I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know what was going to happen from here on in Um, how was I going to get back on my feet I didn't know that um, and um, it was really a case of you stood at the edge of the cliff and you didn't know, you know, uh, I remember meeting a friend of mine and after I shut down my business and I'm saying to me, what do you think you what are you thinking you're going to do now? And I was going, I don't know, but I think I'll give the understair storage thing a go. And his answer was good luck with that. And I kind of thought. That wasn't like a good look with that. That was like, I'll say a little prayer for you if you think that'll work. Um, but like, you know, it, so if I, if 2000 and if the collapse of 2009 didn't happen, okay, um, I would have probably still be running evolution contracting. Um, I would be running a business that would not be as good as the business have now. I would have never started Uh, smart storage probably because I would have been happy with my lot with that so yes it's hard when these things happen when change happens like that and it does kick you but the thing is is that was it in that rocky movie that they said that it's not how hard you you can be hit or you can hit it's about how how hard you can be hit and get back up again so it is but it is hard and you are entitled to at that point to take the little time to have the little bit of uh Feel sorry for yourself in the corner and you do deserve it because you've gone through it, but then you just got to get back up and go at it again.
0: Yeah, look, a lot of people, a lot of CEOs, owners of companies, you know, they have that self esteem little angel sitting on their shoulder. And a lot of them that I speak to feel isolated. Uh, Some feel they've lost the why of why they're doing business. And That's all. I think that's all part of the journey. I think that's, you know, I've been in organizations. I had a company I lost a fortune on, you know, and I don't really take it as a disaster or what I've lost from it. I gained it as the experience that I had and I know it'll never happen again. And I share that with other people as well. So, you know, a lot of people where, especially in that industry you're in, never were able to bounce back. And, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for being creative and bouncing back as well, Paul.
1: No, well, you can give your pat, pat on the back. You can do that. You also have to be conscious that a tap on the back is only six inches away from a kick in the ass as well. Yeah. So we're very, very close. That's to why people. we have wives. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, it is this thing of, of where, you know, yes, give yourself that opportunity. Um, to acknowledge the pain that you went through, give yourself the opportunity to acknowledge the success when you when you get them, take your mini wins and move on with it. But don't lose sight of actually the bigger picture because, like in the morning, something could happen again um, that could have a massive impact. And then you're back to ground zero, and then you got to start rebuilding and you got to go off again. And some people, you know, like you know, you hope, I hope that if that, that, doesn't happen to an extent, but I also hope that if it does happen, that I will still have the energy and ability and everything else to get back up and go and do it again. Um, and I know, you know, if I do, I will be one of the fortunate ones. So I don't look badly on the people who didn't do it. It's a case of where, because, you know, maybe at some point everyone runs out of energy about this stuff.
0: Tell me this, with the uncertainty yeah. at the moment in the world, um... How do you think that the the rest of the year will pan out for a lot of Irish companies, especially with the the price of energy going up through the roof as well? So uh, at the moment, I think everything must have been made in Russia and
1: Ukraine um, because everybody I talk to um, is telling me that every single price of every single product that they have is going up as a result of the Russian and Ukraine strife. And I'm kind of thinking, God, like the other day I got told that the laminate board that we purchase is going up in price because the glue is made in Russia. And I was kind of going, and they can't get it there anymore. And I was kind of like, okay, but do they not make glue in other parts of the world? Could, could we not?
0: But what what is everything not made in
1: China? You know. Yes, this is my point. But it turns out in the last eight weeks, what we're finding out is that, no, it's all been made in Russia and Ukraine. So uh, I think there's been a little bit of probably piggybacking on to some stuff um and i do question some of it so it, within our own business i do question and say okay let's have a look at how can we do things like what do we have to change because you know grant the glue may have been made in in russia but is there not other glue makers like is there a south american glue maker that would be delighted to see the see us now or um yeah
0: i think it's logistics i think it's supply logistics we have to look at and you know, it's it's like I heard something funny the other day that someone said that their energy company was putting up the prices, but they said, hang on, you had sent me another letter saying that you're using wind turbines. When did the price of wind go up? <laughs> you know, and, and you laugh at this, but I think what, what companies need to focus on is, okay, if there is a situation here, there is multiple companies out there that supply something somewhere in the world, and you have to go find them. And you also then just need to restructure your sales strategy or your marketing strategy or your purchasing strategy, you know, keeping all the shareholders happy and and working with them. And if you can focus on that, you'll do okay. Okay, prices will go up. Look, and that's because the price of petrol is going up. But, you, you know, sometimes you have to take a bit of a hit to survive as well.
1: Well, in the last four years, our business has dealt with Brexit. It's dealt with uh, a pandemic, and it's now dealing with a Russian-Ukrainian war and the impact on prices. And it's also dealt with a um, ship that turned sideways in the middle of a canal that all of a sudden blocked up everywhere else. In the in the last four years, we've uh, we've dealt with all of that, or the last five years, we've dealt with all of that. And I can guarantee you when I was doing my SWOT analysis of my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats back in 2010, none of them were written down on the list of items to be concerned about. But maybe the next one I'll be writing pandemic and what happens if that arrives along again. Yeah. Um yeah. you know, trust like,
0: blocking the M50. Put yes, that there. You know, <laughs> so
1: you just look, you get these things, you figure out. Uh, Okay, what's the impact? How do we get around it? And what do we do with it? And, you know, if you've got to suck in that, you know, you're not going to, you know, it may impact profit this year. um, And then you fix and you alter and you go forward onto onto the next level. you got to watch your cost base. you got to control your cost um, and work on it that side. I also think at the moment, from the government's point of view, from the country's perspective, is... This fuel crisis is actually throwing up a massive opportunity if the country was to grab it. And I don't know whether we have the will or ability in the country, in the leadership of the country with it. But Could you imagine if we were a net exporter of renewable energy? Could you imagine if we were aiming towards becoming the Saudi Arabia of energy exporting by turning around and saying that by strategically designing and building wind farms in areas, not just a little pocket of two or three here on Tommy Murphy's farm in some location and two or three, but to strategically look at exactly how we would tap the wave energy, the wind energy here and end up effectively using this crisis as a turning point for the country that effectively we could become
0: effectively the Arab nations of the future in pure renewable energy yeah I think the wave energy is definitely hydro Beautiful. is definitely the way to go. I'm Beautiful. not too fond being honest about with with uh wind turbines. I have a few of them and inf- looking at me here as I look up in the mountain I think they're a nice or so I will stand my ground on that in <laughs> in someone else's garden they can have them but w- wind energy uh uh you know the sea like the, what is it that there's enough energy? in the in in the irish sea for the first meter down to power the whole of new york you know there's 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 a lot that can be designed
1: The, the shannon estuary
0: um just the tidal flow of the shannon estuary and like they are massive
1: engineering feats don't get me wrong they're massive engineering feats but the thing is is that from a leadership perspective that's where i think like, how do we take this opportunity to swing the head around? Now, look, we've gone onto
0: something completely different. Completely different, and That's for the political show that we <laughs> have having, and, and horsing <laughs> them out of us. Yes, we 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 have our opinions, and I think we're on the same level of opinion there as well. So, but look, from yourself, from a from an entrepreneurial point of view, and from a, a business leader. What sort of advice would you give to a medium-sized business like yourself um, steering their ship into 2022 about, you know, driving sales and um, cutting cutting um, and watching profits as well?
1: Okay. Well, um, a couple of things, I suppose, is the first thing is um, I've built a... a fantastic management team around me. Um so I have a brilliant coo who manages a whole team from a finance team to a sales management team to marketing team. And we've got all of them in place. Um, because Joe I'm I'm quite good or reasonably good, let's say, at starting businesses. However, when it comes to running businesses, I think it's a whole other different management set. When you get into managing people and um and so I went about finding people who are better than me at doing that and employing those people because um, I'm not the best manager of people, um, but I have employed really good managers of people um, who now deal with the day-to-day aspect on it which frees me up to do more strategic planning and focus on that because you can't be digging in the trenches and also knowing where you're going at the same time so like you need your team that are actually going to deal with the operational side so if i was if i had a small business again um i probably would uh One of the the things that I would change in how I dealt with smart storage is that I probably would have taken taken on a very strong management team earlier than I did, even though I probably, if I roll back, the answer that everyone will give is that I can't afford to. Um, I don't have the money to do it. I would also nearly put the flip side on it is that if you have a business model that you think can expand, if your business plan says that this can expand substantially, then you can't afford not to take on a management team because you can't do it all yourself. And there's better people at it. And if you think you're good at it, you're probably not necessarily good at that. Your skill set lies in a particular area. Maximize that Get people who are really good at other skills, get them in doing the skills for you so that it frees you up. Don't do the stuff you're not good at.
0: I think a lot of people in the medium-sized business, sometimes they're fearful of delegating. And that's one of the concerns that they have, or even hiring in a consultant or a coach or a mentor to be part of a board of directors that they don't have. And you know, being able to bounce those ideas off somebody who has walked a walk and talked a walk is a huge asset to every organisation. But I think you're you're right there that it's knowing when to make that decision is the is the key to the success of any business.
1: Yeah, and like when you you know when you take people on. Um, again, my management team throw their eyes to heaven when I say this to them because um, they've heard it so often, is that trust is not given, it's earned. So, um, you know, when an employee starts work with us, uh, no employer, no employee would start with a company if, the, if the, their boss sat across from him and said, oh, listen, Joe, don't worry about it. You, you don't need a contract. You can trust me on this it'll all be sorted everyone wants a contract of employment okay because trust is is given or is earned it's not given and in the same way as when when staff come in and when management teams come in I kind of say to them, look, yeah, you know, we earn trust with each other. It's not a it's not even a one way thing. It's not even that I have to that they have to build trust with me or the other way. It's a case of we have to build trust with each other and we have to build up that trust. And as you build that up, then you get a lot more confident. So, you know, my team kind of knows that when you come in early on, don't turn around and say to me, listen, Paul, this is all grand. You can trust me. I'm kind of going, well, I will trust you when I see what you've delivered, when I kind of know that you've shown that this stuff will happen. And when I can see that, then I will trust you more with that. And likewise. So I think there's a trust element that you build up with people. You don't just give it away on day one and say, listen, you're now the COO. There's all your responsibilities. And I fully trust and I close the door and I won't look in and I'll wait and I'll come back in whatever period of time and see exactly what's happened. You build it up.
0: Yeah, I. You know, there is that element of trust in the beginning, but then, as you said, it it, it has to grow. And it I does. think we've all, yeah. Like yeah. I, I think you know, in the past, I've given projects out to people and go, "Oh, no, I trust your view and your judgment," and I get something back and I like, screaming, "Going, oh my god!" But it was my problem because I gave them full responsibility w- without going, "Okay." This is where I want to do and check in on it. But we learned that. We learned that through experience. We learned that. And
1: also with with, with that management style, the other, the other thing that I've learned is that um, responsibility come hand in hand with authority. And so I cannot make, I cannot hold somebody responsible for something if I don't give them the authority to make decisions on things. And likewise, is that if a manager is given the authority to make a decision on things, then they have to know that they hold a responsibility. That then, when it, if it if a problem happens, they have to be willing to step in to deal with the problem and not turn around and just hand it back to you and say, "Well, by the way, this is all kind of went wrong," and like, you know, what are we going to do about it? And got to, you know, so uh, responsibility and authority come hand in hand, and. um And then you kind of make people have ownership of things, and then it's a case of and you but you do that little piece by little piece along the way, yeah, to build trust with
0: them. You you hold the responsibility, you know, but that person you have you have given out your hand to say, okay, I trust you to go with this but you check in all the time to see if they're still on the same path. Yeah, instead of not checking in and arriving and suddenly your your closet closets are, you know, a car storage outside. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What the hell is that? Oh, no, God. It's a brilliant idea, so you're fired. If someone wants to reach out to you, Paul, if someone wants to connect with LinkedIn or, you know, is my wife, she was drawing up plans for under 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 the stairs um, shelving because we're thinking to get we're planning getting the house done up very soon as well. But if someone wants to reach out um, and check out one of your products, or you where can they go? In Ireland, the simplest thing to do is uh, smartstorage.ie is our website.
1: Um, um and you'll find out anything you need to know about under storage in there. Um and so smartstorage.ie is the website there. Um, if you are living in County Wicklow or South County Dublin and you need um, somewhere to sit at a desk for a while and have the opportunity to enjoy the pleasures of our roof garden, along with our putting green on our roof garden and so on, then it's Wicklow Hub. Uh, Wicklowhub.ie is the website.